This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Always been a little bit of a debate uh, between what you might call doctrines inside the world of Christianity. And the debate is over whether or not this thing is about an encounter or whether it's about a lifestyle. Uh, Jackson, if you wouldn't mind closing the doors on both sides back there. Uh, whether it's an encounter or whether it's about a lifestyle. And um, I, I really, you know, I don't know that there's ever been a census, but my guess would be that there are a lot of lot more people who would fall on the side of of encounter than on the side of lifestyle, whether or not they verbalize that, at least the way people live sort of would suggest that. So let's discuss the topic of encounter versus lifestyle. And Psalm 27, I read um, to open the service. We're going to look at that again. The psalmist declaring one thing I asked from the Lord. One thing, this only. If there's nothing else, this one thing I'm asking of the Lord. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What does the word dwell mean? Live there, right? That's where you live. That's your residence. If you dwell there, that's your residence. You may come and go places. You may visit places, but your dwelling is the place where you live. This is his one and only request that I may dwell in, live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. So in those two verses, there are a few references to dwelling, to the temple, to the dwelling again, to the shelter of his sacred tent, all that reflects on where we're going to live, where we're going to hang out, where we're going to spend our time. And then I was thinking about examples in the Bible of people who just had an encounter with the Lord and who, once that encounter was over, there was a period put on the end of that experience, and that was it. And there are a few stories like that, and those stories are really sad. They're tragic. And then I was thinking about examples in the Scripture of people who had an encounter with the Lord, but subsequent to the encounter... They decided to press in and to go further, and it seems like they understood that there was more to it than just the encounter. And those stories are powerful, and those stories are great, and those stories are the ones we need to go to to learn how it's supposed to work for us. 
The stories are there for a reason. Two reasons, really. One is to give us a historical account so that we have that knowledge. And the second is so that we can learn from it how we're supposed to live. Okay, so let's look at about three encounters in the New Testament. The first one happens in a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus in the third chapter of John. Now, for as far as conversations that Jesus had with individuals, this is a pretty long one. It's a pretty detailed, pretty extensive one that he has with one man, and this man was a religious man. This, this man was in the church. Again, we're not talking about a godless heathen who's out there worshiping idols. We're talking about a person who believes in Jehovah, Yahweh, the one true God, who is living a life of devotion to God, who is involved heavily in God's ministry in the church. That's who we're talking about. And in, starting in verse 1, it says, Now there was a Pharisee, so we know he's a religious man. He is in um, a particular religious order called the Pharisees. A man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. We know that he came at night probably because he didn't want other people inside the religious system to know he was doing this. This was a secret rendezvous because he was probably afraid of being identified as someone who would attempt to connect with this radical teacher in any way. Came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. The water is born of woman because we're all born of water. When we are inside our mother, inside the womb, there is a a healthy, hopefully healthy water that is around us, and if it's not there, then we're not going to survive. And of course, Jesus is saying, yes, you must be born of water, but you also have to be born of the Spirit. It says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? 
No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Next section. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light, now pay attention to this, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. We know that John 3.16, which is included in this chapter, is a foundational scripture for the Christian faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Most common scripture in the Bible probably, at least among Christian people, people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. And we, it's good, it's important to grab hold of that scripture and to embrace it as truth. If you expect to ever know God on a personal level, you have to believe that scripture because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets into the heart of God unless they come through him. And Jesus is the one saying these words, that God so loved the world that he gave him, Jesus himself, as a sacrifice so that people could know how to get back into the heart of God foundational. This is all about encounter. This is all about the being born again experience. This is all about confession and repentance. This is all about meeting with Jesus in the world of the Spirit and having an encounter with him, all of a sudden being knocked sideways by the realization that he is there, that he is God, that he has the power to save, that he has the power to transform, that he has the power to give you eternal life. Yes, profoundly important to understand that, to know that, to believe that. But I'm going to tell you what I've been telling you for weeks and that is that the encounter is not the end of it. The encounter is not the sum total of what it means to know God. The encounter is important, but the encounter is only the beginning. You see, Jesus has some very, very important things to say to Nicodemus outside of the 16th verse of the chapter. He talks to him early on about 
being born of the Spirit in addition to being born of the flesh. When he talks about being born again, it literally means again. Being born another time, a second time. Now, when you're born of the flesh, you exit your mother and you start a life on this planet, correct? And you have a family and you live in a place and you're going to have life experiences and you're going to learn how to talk and you're going to learn how to walk and you're going to learn how to read and write and you're going to learn how to function in society. You're going to live in this life once you are born of the flesh. Well, when you are born of the Spirit, guess what happens? You exit out of the old life, which is only life in the flesh, and you enter into life in the Spirit where you're going to have a family, where you're going to learn to talk a new language, where you're going to learn to behave differently than you used to, where you're going to move into an environment and a lifestyle of worship, where you're going to take on an entire new existence. And yes, it did start with an event known as your birth, but that is only the beginning of a tremendous and exhilarating, challenging, yes, but thrilling and exhilarating life in the Spirit if you do it right. There ain't nowhere you could go today to hear better news than that right there. Being born of the Spirit means that you enter life in the Spirit. You start to see things a new way. Now, it doesn't all happen instantaneously. This is the mistake we've made sometimes, at least some of us, is that we've had this idea in our heads that everything happens just like that. I got saved, I'm good to go. I got saved, past tense, back, you know, testimonies I used to hear were, I want to thank God that he saved a past tense me, sanctified the past tense me, filled me with his spirit past tense. Everything in the past tense, all of it happened at some point. No, here's reality, y'all. All of it started at some point, and now I am being saved from all kinds of garbage in this world. Every day, by His Spirit, He is perpetually saving me. I am always and forever and every day and all day long being sanctified, cleansed, renewed, forgiven of the sins that I've just committed recently. I am forever and always, every day and all day, being filled with His Spirit. His Spirit is always coming in. His Spirit is always taking up residence in me. His Spirit is always moving and breathing and occupying and doing work in me and through me. And then Jesus gets down to the end of His talk with Nicodemus and He says, listen, light has come into the world. Light has arrived. Now you have a choice. You can choose to move into that light and live there. Or you can choose that you're going to continue to live in a world of 
darkness. And listen, this has nothing to do with whether you call yourself a Christian or not. Absolutely nothing to do with it. Because I know plenty of Christians that are living in darkness. People who call the name of Christianity. You know that a third of the world's population, about two and a half billion people claim to be Christians. You don't think I'm going to stand up here and try to convince you that two and a half billion people in the world are living in the light, doing light work, living lifestyles of worship and service, loving mankind, loving their neighbors like they love themselves, responding to Jesus' uh, commands to forgive your enemies and to love them, responding to Jesus' commands to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to give the thirsty drink, to take care of the poor and the oppressed and the depressed and the down and out, to visit with prisoners, to take care of widows and orphans and all those ridiculous things he told his followers to do. You don't really think that 2.3 billion people in this world that call themselves Christians are doing that, do you? No, because if they were, the world would be a way different place than it is right now. It would be getting better instead of worse. He says, listen, light has arrived. You have a choice. You can move into the light and live there. Or you can continue to embrace the world of darkness. And then he says this. He says, whoever lives, not past tense, Right now, present and perpetual and ongoing, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. Got to live it out. Got to live it out day by day. You got to live by the truth day by day. Next example. Matthew chapter 19, and this story is told in three of the Gospels. And... We're only putting up verse 16, which says, Just then a man man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? We know this man as the rich young ruler. So he's a young guy. He's talented. He's wealthy. he's, He's doing okay. Comes up to Jesus. He says, Listen, Evidently, he's heard, you know, there's some talk about eternal life and how to get there and that this, ma- this rabbi, this teacher is perpetuating that message. And he wants to know, what's the key? What's the secret sauce? What do I do to get this eternal life? I want some of that. Jesus said, you're smart. <laughs> you know the law, right? Don't kill anybody. Don't commit adultery. He starts naming off the commandments. Young man says, yeah, I know, I know about all of that, and I'm doing all of that, so I must be okay. Is there anything else? And Jesus says, well, in your case, yes. And see, I say in your case because each one of us has our own case. Because I'm not rich. Anybody in here rich? I need to talk with you later. I'm not rich, and I'm not a ruler. So I'm not in the same life circumstances as this man, but I have my life circumstances. 
And I have things that if Jesus was to walk in here today and I was to walk up to him and say, hey, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm in good standing, that my eternal future is secure? He would look at me and say, well, in your case, and he would deal with me based on what's going on in my life. He would deal with me based on my circumstances, based on my status in the world. Well, in your case, here's what you need to do. Because it's all about priority. It's all about whether we have exalted any other gods above him, right? That's where he's going to deal with you. When he says, well, in your case, he's going to deal with you within the context of whatever gods you have exalted above him in your life. So for this young man, it was about money and stuff. Well, in your case, go and sell everything you own. Then take the money and give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. Do, do we need anything else, really? Then to see Jesus dealing with somebody, a real man living in this world, who's working, who's earning a living, who has a family, who's maintaining a home, who's going to work, who's who's get, either has gotten or is getting an education. What, what is that? What's the point? The point is he's me and you. He's just like us. Regular guy trying to figure it out. I'm doing okay in life, but listen, spiritually, I want to know the truth. I want to know how to get into the heart of God. I want to know how to have eternal life. And so he walks up to the master and he asks him, what do I need to do? Jesus said, hey, you know the law, do this. Well, I'm already doing that. Well, in your case, you need to get rid of all that money because you have exalted that above me. You need to sell all the stuff, all the mess that you've piled up around you that you don't really need because if you really needed it, I wouldn't be requiring that you get rid of it. And you give all that money to the poor, you unload all the gods that you've exalted above me, and then you start to follow me. In other words, you and I are having an encounter right now, and that's good, that's where it starts. But where it goes from here is that you move into a lifestyle of walking with me every day. Third example. In John chapter 8, we talked about this woman last week. The woman caught in the act of adultery and she's dragged in. Jesus is in the temple. He's at church. Once again, we're talking about church folks. We're talking about people who know the law. They know about God. They're familiar with the scriptures. As a matter of fact, they quote the scriptures when they bring this woman in. They throw her in the dirt at his feet. And they say, hey, this woman was caught in adultery. The law of Moses says she's to be taken outside of town and stoned to death. What do you say? Jesus is like, well, give me a second. And he goes over and plays in the dirt for a minute. They keep badgering. They keep questioning him, keep challenging him. Finally, he looks up and he says, okay. He doesn't argue whether it's sin or not. 
He doesn't give her an out on her guilt. He looks at him and says, in essence, who are you to judge? Maybe I need to talk to you about your thing. Maybe I need to talk to you about what you're hiding. So you weren't caught, but that doesn't matter. Whichever one of you has no sin in your life, go ahead and throw the first stone. And one by one, they drop their rocks and walk away. This is an encounter that these people and the woman are having with the Savior. This is an encounter that presents them, all of them, with an opportunity to embrace a life of truth which will lead them into the light. This is a gospel message. You're guilty. You're guilty. Every person in the room is guilty. Every person in the room is a sinner. The one who is accused and the accusers are in the same basket. It's an encounter. I love the picture because it's a picture of the totality of why Jesus came to earth. It's a picture of his message still today that regardless of whether you are the least of these, some woman who's been caught doing something she should not have been doing, who is embarrassed and humiliated, who's been dragged out here and thrown down like a dog to be dealt with. But in the same room, you've got the church people. In the same room, you've got the holy men. And Jesus looks at all of them. I'm sure you had some in there that were pretty wealthy, some that were middle class, some that were lower middle class, some that were low class. And, and you've got the woman who's the least of these in the room. And he says, every last one of you, every last one of you, now that you've had an encounter with the truth, you have an opportunity to make a decision of whether you want to embrace the truth and start moving into the light or whether you want to continue to live in darkness. Don't let it slip past you what happens here. Every one of them who accused dropped their rocks and walked out. Walked out. Some of these same people, you can be sure, showed up later to do what? To accuse again. To be part of the screaming mob that insisted that he be executed. Because they walked out of the room choosing to live in darkness. One person besides Jesus does not walk out. And that's the woman. So now, they've had an encounter. 
And he says to her, because you've chosen to hear the truth, go your way. It's a new life for you. Go your way and don't sin anymore. Will she ever sin again? Yes. But his point is not that he's declaring that if she will believe what he says and if she will embrace a relationship with him, that there's a guarantee that she would never sin again. He's the only sinless person. His point is, listen, you are moving now from encounter into lifestyle, and the lifestyle is going to see you experience more and more of the light, which is going to cause more and more of the darkness to be dispelled, and therefore more and more of the old flesh and the old ways and the old sin is going to dissipate out, and you become more and more like me. Leave, he said, leave your life of sin. In other words, leave the lifestyle that you used to live in, the lifestyle of the world, the lifestyle of darkness. Leave that. Step over the threshold. We've had an encounter. I'm presenting a kingdom pathway to you. And if you're going to leave one lifestyle, guys, that means you're going to enter into another one, right? Because the only way to keep from leaving a lifestyle, or the only way to keep from entering a new lifestyle if you leave an old one is to die. If you continue living, you're going to live some kind of a lifestyle. <clears throat> and spiritually speaking, there are only two lifestyles. So if you're going to leave one, you're going to be moving into the other one. It's powerful. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, another scripture that's very familiar to us. Old things, what? Passed away. And all things have become new. What does that say to us? It says to us that the idea of having an encounter and it not changing your life is ridiculous. The idea of a, an experience of being born again that does not move you into a life in the Spirit where you then begin to live and move and have your being like Paul said. That's the way it works. So, to answer the question, is it encounter or is it lifestyle? Is it encounter versus lifestyle? Well, let me answer both of those questions before we get to the answer. The answer to the question, is it encounter or is it lifestyle, is yes. It's both. Because you cannot separate the two out. The question, is it encounter versus lifestyle, is no. It is not one or the other. 
It is the two in cooperation, in mutuality, the encounter leading us right into the lifestyle. A lifestyle that includes a new language. These words we've been talking about for two months. New behaviors, new thinking, a new way of seeing people. So it's not encounter versus lifestyle. It's encounter plus lifestyle. It's a mathematical equation. I hate math, but I love this one. Because encounter plus lifestyle equals life in the kingdom. Equals eternal life. Equals fullness of relationship between us and Him. Equals us being able to do what the psalmist said in 27 that we read earlier that he wanted to do, that was his one and only goal, was to dwell in God's house all the days of his life. And to finish up, when the psalmist said, all the days of my life, he was talking about all the days of his life right here on earth. He wasn't talking about when he gets to heaven. Heaven will be glorious. Heaven's going to be, I mean, you can't. But listen, there is a kingdom life for us to live right here, right now. There is a garden life for us to live right here on planet Earth, right now. We can't go back and nobody's been able to find Eden we can't go back there. We can't recreate that. But we can live a garden life spiritually. We're still going to have to deal with the hardships and the challenges of the world. We're not exempt from sickness. We're not exempt from the climate. We're not exempt from pain and suffering. We're not exempt from grief and loss and death. But in the middle of it comes peace. I'm convinced that the greatest commodity that was lost when God's children were banned from the garden was peace. Because the absence of peace opens the doors for all kinds of terrible things. But in the garden life that we have an opportunity to live after the encounter, peace shows up right when we need it. Anybody had that happen recently? It just shows up. Jesus described it as peace that defies our ability to define it. Peace that is beyond our understanding. Why is that? Because it's God peace. Power. Power to do what He set you on this planet at this point in history to do. Power to be who He created you to be. That comes when we commit ourselves to a life in the kingdom after the encounter. 
provision that we can call on Him in our time of need, that we can tap into His resources, that we can truly see Him as our Father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that we have ultimate faith, gigantic faith, that He's able to do what no man can do. And protection. Protection from the whispering, the lying, the scheming of the enemy who desires to steal and to kill and to destroy. Man, that's what you get in the garden. If you just love it outside the garden, do your thing. For the life of me, I have no idea why anybody wants to do that. Why anybody wants to live outside of the opportunity to dwell in God's house. But lots of people do. Lots of people choose darkness. Some have an encounter and like the rich young ruler who said, you know what, that's too much for me, I can't do it. And he turned around and walked away. They can't take those gods that they've, ex they've exalted above him and get rid of them tragedy because the man I'm sure went on and probably had a really good life as far as his ability to buy stuff and have a nice home and do what he wanted to do bad news for him is that this life's not the only life then you have to deal with the next life and then you have those who have an encounter and after the encounter they see the opportunity to move into it as a lifelong journey. The garden life. So I don't know where you are as far as every person in the room. I, I don't know what your encounter has been or maybe it's never been. I don't know. It's possible that some in the room have never had an encounter. It's possible that some have had an encounter and because the requirements were too heavy you turned and walked away from it and then there are some of us in the room who had an encounter and we said you know what garden life sounds pretty good to me so I'm sure we've got all categories in the room but there's good news for all of us today if you've never had an encounter you can have one if you if you feel if you sense him pulling at you, talking to you, dealing with you where you are in your own situation. Then he's, he's moving you towards an encounter. You have an opportunity to respond to it or to reject it. If you've ever had an encounter and you turned away for, from it or perhaps you've been playing the Christian thing. Yeah, I got saved whatever time and date. I said the sinner's prayer but you're just not living in the light. You're not experiencing the truth every day. You're not growing up in Him. You're not hearing from Him. You're not responding in obedience to His words. Well, there's opportunity for you. And if you are walking the kingdom pathway, locked arms with other brothers and sisters who are on this journey, 
God bless you. But as we walk, we walk looking for somebody that the world or the church has thrown down in the dirt that needs us. Listening, watching, paying attention so that when the Holy Spirit shows us, us that He's doing a work that we can get involved in, we recognize it and we can jump in it. And it gets more and more invigorating and thrilling and challenging as we go. So I'm going to pray over you that no matter what category you're in, the Holy Spirit would continue dealing with you, let you know what you need to do. The time is short and the work is too important for us to just be wandering around, not really committed to anything. We need to dive in. Dive in. Encounters right here today. The truth of the word has been sounded out in this room. And it is by the Spirit, y'all, that it has gone forth. Because I can tell you that there are times when I leave here on a Sunday and I feel like, boy, I just had a hard time putting words together and thinking straight. And I don't think that was effective and all that. It's not one of those days. It's one of those days where I got about three things written down on a sheet of paper and just opened my mouth and it's like it's come forth with clarity and it's come forth with, uh, I think, where you can understand it and we all can. And you have an opportunity because the encounter has been presented as an opportunity. Father, it is by your Spirit that your Word has gone forth. You're doing a work in your people. You're doing a work in people who are already, already walking the kingdom pathway. You are continually giving us the light of your revelation. We thank you for it. Thank you for ears to hear and eyes to see and minds to understand what's going on around us so that we know your work when we see it and we can jump in it. And for those in the house who have had encounters in the past, but they've just never stepped over the threshold and started to walk the kingdom pathway, the garden life. I pray for them today that they would be knocked around in their spirits, that they would know that they can't continue like that. That there's the world, the world of darkness, and there's the kingdom of light. It's the only two options we have. And for those who maybe have never had an encounter, today's the day. The encounter's here. The opportunity's here. While everybody's just kind of prayerful for a minute, I don't know, we don't usually do this, but if there's anybody who'd like to say, you know what, I'm in one of those two categories that's not the kingdom category, and I'd just like for you to, especially even after we leave here, to pray for me. Just let me see your hand real quick, and I will make sure that we hold you up, that we bless you in prayer. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for Good work. You promised us that when you start a good work, you're going to be faithful to complete it. Faithful to complete it. We commit ourselves once again to hearing and obeying. Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for your attentiveness. And chew on these things. Think about them. Go to those scriptures and read them on your own. Be very prayerful as you go. And the giving can happen at the back doors if you have tithes or offerings. God bless.